Welcome to MedKinza Talks, your go-to source for bite-sized content in becoming future doctors. I'm your host, Kinza Hussein, and I'm a second-year medical student helping students navigate the ins and outs of one of the most competitive careers. I will be sharing the lessons I've learned and inviting guest speakers to provide real quality advice to help you get into medical school, succeed as a med student, and prepare you to become a future doctor. Want more free quality advice? Subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on Instagram at MedKinza, where I post videos and infographics delivering content to you every week. Now sit back, relax, and learn something new. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every week. Hey, welcome. This is episode 17. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Sophia, who is a fourth-year medical student at Yale. I have been a long-term follower of her Instagram account, at this girl named Sophia. She posts a lot of great fashion content with empowering captions. Sophia really uses her platform to spread knowledge and raises her voice against the common injustices of the world. She's also a co-host of a podcast with Prevoc called Red, White, and Brown, where they discuss the struggles of being first-generation immigrants from South Asia in the U.S. I'm so excited to ask her more about her journey, her stats, and what applying to residency has been looking like. Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the episode. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. I know you we were talking a little bit earlier, but I've been following your account for like the past two to three years. So it's been really awesome to kind of like see your platform grow and then finally have the opportunity to speak to you a little bit more. Well, thank you so much. You've definitely been around since the early days then. <laughs> I think I joined when maybe you were a second year at Yale. Okay. okay but yeah. how has your experience been like at Yale? How have you liked the last four years now that you're almost done? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, so I don't think we discussed this, but I'm in my fourth year, uh, but it's a research year. Okay. So I am, I still have like one more year basically because I'll be applying next cycle. Okay. But yeah, the the light at the end of the tunnel is, uh, you know, it's there. So I've been hearing a lot more people, you know, say that they're doing a research year. But yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and just where you're from, what you're doing, and how everything's going. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I am Pakistani American. Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, I grew up in the city. So like in the city of Chicago, not like a nearby suburb, the way sometimes people, um, you know, sometimes people from like Skokie or like Naperville will say they're from Chicago, but like, I am truly from Chicago. Yeah, um, I'm from Boston, but I'm from a suburb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm from the city. I attended public school my entire life. Um, and I graduated high school in 2013 and then went off to Princeton for college, uh, where I majored in public policy, but obviously I was also pre-med. Um, and then I graduated in 2017 and I started med school here at Yale. Uh, so I didn't take any time off between undergrad and med school. Um, and I'm currently, as I mentioned in, you know, it's my fourth consecutive year but it's a research year. So I'm not actually applying to residency yet. Um, but, you know, so it's basically going to be a five-year program for me. So I'm in year four of five. Um, but yeah, and then outside of school, I enjoy reading, listening to podcasts, working on, you know, the podcast that 
um, my classmate and I started and obviously also enjoy fashion. I love like DIYs and thrifting and all of that. Um, and then I also enjoy cooking and Pilates. Oh, that's awesome. We have a lot of similar interests then. <laughs> so I don't have this as a written question, but I kind of want to delve into a little bit more about why you decided to do a research year, how you kind of made that decision for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one thing I will say is I know every school kind of approaches it differently. Um, and it's much more common at some schools than other schools. So at Yale, it is actually very common to do a research year. I think probably 80% of my class is doing it. Um, at the time, you know, of interviewing, that was actually something that they emphasized very heavily that uh, we encourage research, we're really into scholarship, and you're going to have the opportunity to do a research year here if you want to. Like, everyone has the opportunity. Um, so that was like a big part of, I think, Yale and their system. And, um, you know, they really encourage it. So given that that was like sort of the baseline and like so many people were doing it, I think it makes it easier to pursue that path because I think in a lot of other places, it's if you're doing a research year, you're probably in the minority. Um, and anytime you're like doing something different, that makes it a little bit tougher, right? Um, yeah, so I think that's one thing I'll say. Um, the other thing, just with COVID this year, uh, obviously has thrown things off for everyone. Um, and so I was originally actually not planning to do a research year. Um, I was just going to go straight through. I had um, done my sub-internships, um, like got my letters of recommendation. A lot of stuff was like actually in place. Like a lot of that legwork to apply has, I've already done it. Um, but I hadn't taken step two. Um, and part of that is because Yale does things differently where we do our clinical year and then you take step one and step two back to back. Oh my so God. yeah, yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was, I took step one earlier this year, like as a fourth year medical student, I took step one. Um, and then just, uh, yeah, step two is like still on the agenda, but I think things were feeling a little bit rushed just because I would have to basically be applying to residency and taking step two at the same time um, and also working on my thesis. And I'm going to be totally honest with, I was feeling like, uh, yeah, things were just rushed and I didn't think I would have enough time to like devote to my thesis and do like a really stellar job and so I was just like you know what it is so common to take this extra year that like I should just do it uh when I was in undergrad we also everyone at Princeton is required to do a thesis um and so I was like interviewing for med school while also you know taking classes and doing my thesis at the same time and at the end of it my thesis wasn't something I was super proud of um, just because that was kind of the last priority, right? Priority number one is like getting into med school at that time. So um, I didn't want the same thing to happen again this time where I could kind of tell it was going in that direction. And so I was, my ultimate decision was just like, you know what, let me take the year, do a good job on this thesis, maybe try to get like a couple publications this year and that'll just strengthen my residency application altogether and hopefully, you know, maybe 
the situation around COVID will be a little bit more settled next year and like the process of applying to like it might there might just be more clarity around it so yeah and really there was a lot of important stuff you said in there so you realized you kind of rushed things coming out of undergrad to just get into medical school and you rushed your thesis so is your thesis required by the way for Yale too yes so it's just nice that you took a step back and you were like it's okay if I take an extra year I'm not going to rush into things again and I'm going to just perform quality work rather than just trying to go 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 and I'm sure you're appreciating the subtle break that's kind of been you know yeah. as well definitely I can't imagine taking step one and two back to back either like that's just a lot of again go 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 like no breaks yeah yeah so that's awesome I want to kind of talk about like step back and talk about your pre-med days really quick with my next question but coming out of um Princeton, you must have taken your MCAT probably around your junior year. Your GPA was probably set in stone around junior year two to apply and not take that gap year after college. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind sharing, what did your stats look like for applying? Yeah, so I had actually publicly never shared my stats. Um, so, and the reason, the reason is because I feel like it's not like a helpful motivational story. Like I don't have stats that are like super low that I can say like, oh look, like you can get into med school with like lower stats. Too. Like my stats were good. Um, and yeah. also and also just because I think, you know, the schools, they publish what their averages are, right? So Yale's average MCAT I think is a 520. I had a 520. Like that's, it's, it's just nothing like out of the ordinary and so, I just don't feel like it's helpful or motivational. That's why I've never shared that. My GPA at the time of applying, I genuinely, I don't even remember. It was somewhere between a 3.7 and a 3.9. But what I will say is that I remember at the time when I was applying, thinking that my GPA was on like kind of the lower end. Um, because again, these schools publish their averages, right? So Yale's average is a, like 3.85, I think. And so my G, it must have been below that. Um, and I just, the reason I don't share like what it was is because I think it's misleading also. Um, so Princeton at the time was known for also having grade deflation, like along with our transcripts, they would send a note saying that like only 30% of students are allowed to receive an A grade. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was this policy of just like limiting the number of A's. Um, and just, you know, it was a well-known fact that like we had this grade deflation policy, um, that has since changed. Um, I think the culture is still kind of the same where professors are not just like handing out A's. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And it makes it very difficult because like I was just surrounded by such brilliant people in my classes and like if only 30% can get an A, like 70%, the other 70% are still doing very well, you know? Um, so it makes it challenging. Uh, but our like health professionals advising office, they had definitely warned us that like, you know, don't worry about like these average GPAs. Like even if you have a little bit lower, like schools will still take you because they know we have this policy. Um, and so, yeah, so my GPA was probably on the lower end of like what my my med school class like GPAs are um and so yeah that's part of the reason I don't share it is because like if I I think if I was coming from another institution and I had the GPA I had I don't know if I would have gotten it 
Like, I think it's, it's only okay because of where I was coming from. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Other schools also have this sort of policy. I know U Chicago has this policy or a similar, like they're known for also having grade deflation. Um, and so, you know, it's, it is what it is, but I just, uh, yeah, that's kind of the reason I've been so reluctant, but it, it was probably like, I don't know, like a 3.75 or something like around there. Yeah, but no, you know what? I think I feel special that you were, you know, comfortable enough sharing those numbers on the podcast today. But I think that's why I also asked that follow-up question as to like, what do you think really stood out in your application overall when you were applying to these schools? Because I know that there are people that definitely their stats help them get in. And then those people that don't have those stats have something maybe really awesome on their application, like extracurriculars or something about the hobbies that they do that help them get in. But I definitely think there were a lot of people, I'm sure, applying to Ivy medical schools with really high stats, right? But not all of them got into Yale. So there still was something about your application. There's only, I'm sure your class is relatively small, maybe like 80 people. Around there, yeah, I think so thousands of applications coming in so there's still something that you know makes you stand out that's different so even if your stats are high and you don't have a special story like you think you don't have a special story but there's still something there that's mm-hmm. going to help people listening be like oh like that's kind of like what she was doing on the side as well for her extracurriculars like this is her background you know you mm-hmm. went to Princeton it's a great school it's a great name and you're saying that probably helped you stand out with like the 3.7 GPA which is on the lower end of their mm-hmm average but I would love to hear kind of more about what your extracurriculars look like or what do you think really stood out like what's something that they talked to you a lot about maybe during your interview that you think helped you stand out too I guess um I do think that my application was probably like quote-unquote interesting um because I did have you know a lot of the sort of basic like hospital volunteering like research experience all of those things but then I mean I also wrote about like my interest in fashion and like like fashion design and like I am really into even just like designing and sewing my own clothes and you know that's something I like I think that was probably different um I do remember getting sorry what were you saying I said, yeah, like that's exactly what I was looking for because a lot of people aren't sure if they can share that kind of stuff on a med school application. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, like that's the one thing that's going to make you stand out. So you should share. 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. And I, I mean, even like for applying to undergrad, I feel like my application was interesting. Like, I really think like for anything I've gotten accepted to, whether it's a school or like an internship or whatever else, um, I do think I'm always like that interesting candidate. Um, I also definitely put a lot of work into like the essays and stuff. And so my, uh, like the writing that I submitted was very good. Like, I I think it was probably above, you know, the sort of average essay that was, that they were reading. Um, and I, again, when I say that, I mean, like it was just interesting, right? Like I do think I was able to capture the reader's attention. Like even now, um, when I go back and look at some of my essays, I'm like, yeah, like this is good. Like I, I put a lot of work into this um, and just revising drafts like 10, 12 times um, just to really make sure that the writing was uh, 
you know, just captured exactly what I wanted to say. Um, and I, I also talked a lot about even, I don't know, just like cultural things. Like I wasn't shy to talk about like my background and my culture and like religion and like, I don't know, just like religious, like philosophies and things that have influenced me. Um, and I know sometimes people are reluctant to share, especially like as a Muslim, like a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really want to share that. Yeah. Um, I was like, I had a good um, experience one year in MSA with a speaker that we invited and I really struggled with like, should I make this? I wanted to make it my meaningful experience and I did end up doing that because it, you know, helped me grow a lot in certain ways, but I was definitely reluctant. I was not sure if I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. And like, I think if you can talk about like your culture or your religion or whatever else in an interesting way, I think definitely do it. Um, you know, it's, and it's also not just like one person reading, you know what I mean? It's not just going to be one person who looks at your application and makes the decision. It's multiple people. So like the odds that you're gonna like offend someone they're I think they're pretty low, especially because schools do value diversity. Um, so yeah, I, I think just like my writing was good. I kind of included like these interesting tidbits here and there. The other thing I will say is I studied public policy, which I think is not super uncommon because a lot of people focus on like global health and like public health policy and stuff in um, undergrad. And they talk about that when applying. But my focus was not really on healthcare. It was more on sort of um, like I, I had a couple experiences that were more in like the counterterrorism like arena. So it was just very different to anything of anyone writing about that yeah yeah exactly so i think um a lot of times people feel like they need to relate all of their activities uh back to medicine and and in some ways i think that's good like it's important to be able to draw parallels between like you know your extracurriculars and medicine but sometimes i also think it's okay to study something like totally separate because you're still going to have your pre-med classes right so, um, yeah, I think the more if you can branch out and like study something else that's interesting and still do well in you know, the core pre-med classes, then I think that's I think that's great. Like that that is what makes candidates interesting, I think. Yeah, no, that's great advice, because I think I just learned something new, too. I've kind of kind of been giving the advice that when people are writing their personal statement essays, I'm, I'm always like, oh, make sure you relate this back to how you're going to be a better medical student because they want to kind of envision you as a med student while reading this or how this relates you back to being a better physician in the future. Like, especially when I'm editing extracurriculars, I give that advice more than the personal statement essay. And I feel like I just learned something new where it's like, you don't have to do that, actually. They know you're applying to med school because you have some interest in medicine and that should already show in your application in one way or another. But I think you really just defined interesting there where you branched out, it seems like, in your undergrad career and you mm -hmm. had a lot of different experiences. Would you say you were very active and that kind of gave you that basically experience box to kind of pull stuff out from for your essays? Mm, I guess so. What do you mean by active, like in terms of extracurriculars? Yeah, so I'm trying to think, like, a lot of people, including me, struggle with thinking of an experience or story to kind of talk about when I'm writing my essays. 
and you said that you made all of your essays very interesting. So for me, I guess I think, oh, interesting means like you were active and you had a lot of great experiences that you could write about and that made you interesting. Or would you say it was more your writing style? I actually think, uh, I don't know that I was more active than, you know, the average student in undergrad, just because everyone was, you know, do like everyone was doing things. Yeah. Um, like I must have been involved in like, what, like four or five activities. Like, I think a lot of people are involved in that number of activities. But I do think um, I would like before writing my essays, I would really just like reflect on what it was that I learned, like for any like, you know, say like a hospital volunteering type experience. Um, I would really kind of think about like what were the particular instances that like made me see myself in this field or like what were the most um, poignant like parts of my experience and like I don't I don't know if that makes any sense but like I do think it gave it a lot of thought just like what exactly from each experience was special to me and also just in general like I, I don't necessarily think it has to come from like my experience in this club or my experience running this organization sometimes it's just like a book that you read or like you're listening to a podcast and you hear something that like just really like like resonates with you you know um so I feel like it's also just a matter of like identifying those particular things that really impact you. And like, I don't, for me, I don't think they necessarily always came from the activities I was doing. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm not sure if I'm like conveying this the right way. <laughs> podcast episode of me just like dissecting. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sorry to like draw that question out, but that's, I think you provided a lot of great value in answering that question. But in respect for time, I'm going to move on to the next question. So like I said, I've been following your Instagram page for a while. And again, for those of you who are listening, it's at this girl named Sophia. And I've admired your posts. And I was wondering, like, you have a great sense of style. You mentioned you like doing DIY, thrifting. Maybe you do thrift flips too, which is definitely an interest of mine. And I was wondering kind of how you got into the social media space, like one, what inspired that? And then how do you go about scheduling your posts for those people that are kind of interested in like how Instagram influencing works? Do you hire a photographer? Do you make sure you post every day, every <laughs> day? Like how do you organize that part of your life, especially when you're so busy doing other things in school? Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of how I got into that space, I think, I mean, I was seeing other like Instagrammers and bloggers kind of doing that work. Um, and I just think like I had always been interested in fashion and I never considered it a real career path. Um, like my parents are, you know, South Asian immigrants. Like when I was young and I was interested in fashion, they were like, that's like not a real job. And I don't blame them because, you know, at that time before this like social media explosion, I don't think there was a lot of transparency on like how to get into this, you know, fashion space and like what type of job opportunities there were, you know, like I was interested in fashion in like this vague sense. But if you asked 10 year old Sophia, like, oh, like what are the different job opportunities in, you know, 
fashion. Like I wouldn't be able to tell you like, oh, you can be a buyer. You can be like a writer for these like whatever publications. You can do yada yada. Like I wouldn't have even known what job opportunities existed. So I never considered it a real career path. And then around, you know, when I was in college, I began seeing people um, kind of working in this like, well, I guess in or adjacent to like this fashion industry and like makeup and beauty industry. Um, and I just thought it was really cool. And that was like kind of a path that I had never pursued, but like was always interesting to me. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I want to do this. I think I can do this too. Um, I see other people doing it. Like, why can't I do it? Um, and also, yeah, so it was a very just intentional thing for me. A lot of people uh, who are in this space, when you talk to them, they'll say like, oh, it just happened. Like I was posting and I was gaining a lot of followers. Like that's not how this works. If you're going to take a photo of your outfit every day, easy <laughs> yeah like if you're gonna take a photo of your outfit and post it every day that is intentional right you're making a decision and that is what I did like I wanted to enter this space and so I did and I do work with a photographer um, so I shoot like once every couple weeks I shoot for like an hour and in that hour I'm able to get like six outfits shot and so like I'm very um, I think just like intentional about it my photographer is wonderful his handle is at WildNYC for anyone listening. If you're in the New York area, he brings like this tent and I just like this pop-up tent and I just like change my clothes in there between outfits. It's so efficient. Um, and so, yeah, I just like knock out all of my outfits and I work with brands a lot nowadays. And so, um, you know, when you're working with the brand, you have to provide like a professional photo um, like the content just has to be professional because they're paying you. And so like, I, you know, there's no option. Like you definitely have to work with a photographer. Um, but I try to like block it. So I'm not going out and shooting multiple times a week or anything. Like I just, you know, the less frequently I can shoot the better. Um, and in terms of scheduling, I do use an app called preview. Um, and so you can just play around with like the photos and like what, how you want to arrange them and stuff. Uh, but the only thing I really have to schedule around is like if I tell a brand, okay, I'm going to post your photo by this date. Other than that, I just post like whatever I want um, and like whatever I'm really feeling is the caption. Obviously, we just went through an election. So I was posting my captions were like kind of focused on that because like a major thing was happening. Uh, but yeah. And that's what's great about it. So you are able to kind of combine your love for fashion, but also make it relevant to what you're doing every day and what you believe in. So you did a great job like combining your passion project of fashion industry and clothes and sharing that with the world, um, collaborating with different brands and sharing that, but also the other side of it where you have, you know, you have your opinions, you want to influence people positively to like make our world better. So that's a great use of Instagram. Thank you. So the next question I would like to ask is, I know we talked a little bit about how you are in your research year, so this question mm -hmm. might not be super relevant to residency, but if you are thinking about residency right now, I was kind of wondering what that process looks like. So for me, I'm a second year med student, and I don't really know much about applying to residency, and I've kind of learned mm -hmm. a lot of my classmates don't know either. I'm just like, okay, you need your step one and two scores, and you need rec letters, but is that it? So what else do you need? Um, so you pretty much always have to do, I think, a sub-internship, which is like your 
or other schools call it an acting internship, which is basically, um, you know, it'll be like a month long where you kind of have the responsibilities of a an intern, so like a first year resident, um, and you're just trying it out. You're like trying on that specialty, like what it's actually going to be like when you are, you know, an intern. Um, and so that I think most people do before applying. I have heard of cases where people do it during the process of applying, but I feel like you would probably want to get letters of rec from the, you know, the, the people you work with during the sub-internship. So I, I feel like it makes most sense to do it before. And then you can also do uh, electives, um, which I think most people do those during the process of applying so like at some point during the fourth year i still have to do like one elective um so i'll do that but that generally is less responsibility than the sub internship um so i think yeah it's like your exam scores and then your letters of rec um but i think you know when you're writing your essays and stuff you kind of have to talk about like why you want to do that specialty um, and so I, I do think the sub-internship also helps with that, um, just because that's the closest experience you're going to get before actually doing the residency. Um, so I think, yeah, just ironing out, like, why you want to do that particular field. Um, Is it normal to apply to a lot of different uh, residency options, or is that not normal? Meaning, like, applying to, like, ob and PEDS? Yeah, say something like that. No, I don't think that's very common at all. <laughs> so um, one, basically just one then, and you apply to different. Yeah, yeah. most people will, yes, apply just to one, one specialty. All right, and when do you do, I don't think I've actually ever heard of a sub-internship, so what year is that common in? Uh, for us, it would be like second half of your third year, first half of your fourth year. I think that's probably the most common. Gotcha, yeah, I'd like to look more into that to see if even my school offers that. And you said it's six months long? No, 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 one month. One month, oh, okay, I was like six months. Yeah. No, 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 I, I'm sure your school offers it. It's, it's like a requirement. It's a requirement to apply to residency. So like 100%, your school offers it. <laughs> um, so, Thank you for sharing that. That's something to be helpful for current med students, at least. Um, but my last question is, what is one piece of advice that changed your life or really affected you in a way positively that you would like to share with everyone today? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, when you sent me uh, this question, I was like, God, I, don't, I really don't know. Because there's not one thing that comes to mind, like, you know, one particular thing. But I guess, like, there's a couple things that I – I do, you know, sometimes think about, um, like when I'm giving advice to other people. So one of them is just like, a lot of times people will say like, oh, like I'm 28, like by the time I apply to residency or by the time I apply to med school, like I'm gonna be like 30 and then I'm gonna be 34 when I graduate and like, I'm just gonna be so old. And like, you know, I once heard something like, you know, you're gonna be, 31 day anyways, like you might as well just do the thing you want to do. You know, you're going to be 34 one day anyways. You might as well be a doctor at 34. Like time is not going to, you know, stop. So like we're all getting older. Yeah, that's so true. I actually really like that perspective. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard it phrased in that way before. Yeah, yeah. So I think like 
that is one thing. Um, not that I, I mean, I didn't take any time off between undergrad and med school. So that's not really something that like has affected me as much because like, oh my God, uh, sorry. Um, and then the other thing that I think um, I sometimes think about is just my, so my dad would always say like, make sure your intentions are good. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't know what it is, but like, I think in Islam, like there's a lot of emphasis on like what your intentions are in terms of how you are judged ultimately. Um, and so he would always say like, you know, if your intentions are good, you'll succeed. Um, so like, if your goal is just to make money, like you might not be that successful, but if you like really want to help people, then I think there's this idea that like that'll motivate you and whatever. Um, anyways. Yeah. 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 So I, I try to like channel that a lot of times, like when I'm struggling, I'm just like, okay, like it's fine. Like I want to help people. Like hopefully I can achieve that. Um, so I don't know. That's something that he always says to me. So that's like a common piece of advice that I like try to live my life by. And I feel like sometimes I think about it and I'm like, how can you like make your intentions good? Like, isn't that just like inherently, uh, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, how can you change your intentions? I think it's, um, <laughs> so I've been focusing a lot on what my why is, and I'm just going to clear out my notifications on my phone so I can show my recent screensaver for those of you who are watching the video, but it says, remember why you started. And I think like we kind of get lost in our overall goal where we're like, oh my gosh, when I'm 30 or when I'm 40, this is what I want my life to look like. And something I saw on TikTok recently was also about remembering your why. And if if you have a good why, I'm sure like everyone's intentions are good with what their purpose kind of wants to be. So what she does is she writes out a list one through seven. And for number one, she writes like what she wants, right? And then the next um, bullet points for number two, three, four, it's always like, okay, but why do I want that? And then it could be like, oh, I want this so I can take care of my parents. And then the next one would be, but why do you want to take care of your parents? Well, I want to take care of my parents because I love them and I want to give back to them. Well, like, why do you want to give that back to them? So you do that seven times. And I think in that, you figure out, you know, what your intention really is. And it's never going to be a bad intention. But sometimes your overarching, like, goal can kind of, you know, distract you from that, maybe. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that makes sense. I mean, I do think a lot of people's intention is just like to make money and like, maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just like, well, I'll be honest, like my, I want to make money. Like I want to live a comfortable life. Right. But then yeah. Yeah. exercise, because I definitely have like better reasons, at least for me personally, as to like why mm -hmm. I want to get there. And it kind of comes down to family. And that's a good intention. Like, why do I want to be at that level when I'm 30 or 40? Oh, because I want to have the financial freedom to spend time with my family. Why do I want to spend time with my family? Because I really value like being with my partner and being with my kids in the future and making sure they have like a fulfilling life growing up, not like that I'm going to be gone for most of the day and I only get to tuck them in at night. So like, that kind of breaks it down, right? For me. And I feel like if people maybe do that exercise, they'd be able to kind of see like what their intention is and really why they want what they want. I think so. Yeah, I think that makes sense.
Yeah, no, that was awesome advice. I'm definitely going to try to incorporate that into like the decisions I make moving forward too. So thanks for sharing that. (laughs) So thank you, Sophia, so much for joining today's podcast. I really love talking to you and getting to know you more. Um, Thank you for coming on. And for everyone that's listening, if you have enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also, if you've learned one little thing from the show, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review. It means a lot to me and I read them all. I'll see you guys in the next one.